Welcome to the Redeemer East Harlem podcast. We pray this message leads you both to know and show the love of Christ in all areas of life. We will now dive into our scripture reading, followed by this week's message. Today God speaks to us from Matthew chapter 24, verses 29 through 31 and 36 through 41. Then 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two, of, two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill. One will be taken and the other left. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and, as God, and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Amen. Thank you, everyone that has participated in our service thus far. Good to see all of you. For those of you who may not, I may not know, my name is Justin, and I'm the pastor here at Redeemer East Harlem. Grateful to be celebrating this day with you all. Uh, if you have been with us, uh, you know that over the course of Lent, we have been in a series that we've called The Day of the Lord. Uh, throughout the series, the goal of the series has been uh, to take a look at the various minor themes, I'm sorry, the major themes within the minor prophets. Uh, and what we've concluded over the course of that series is that there is this day of the Lord that's coming. Uh, in many ways for the people of Israel, that day had come. But today, on Easter Sunday, we consider that there is another day of the Lord that is to come. And it has great significance for how we celebrate and understand Easter today. You know, on this day, of course, we think about uh, Jesus's perfect life. And uh, this past Good Friday, we considered that Jesus uh, died for us, that he died this sufficient death. But... The beauty of Easter is that we also recognize and we celebrate his resurrection. And the reason why the resurrection matters and the reason why the resurrection has much to say about this day of the Lord that we'll take a look at in a moment is that without the resurrection, 
Jesus Christ is merely one of many wise, moral, insightful people that have lived over the course of time. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then frankly, there's really nothing that makes him special. There's really nothing to really even consider or process about who Jesus is. Who cares what Jesus has to say unless he rose from the dead? And the reason why is because Jesus's resurrection from the dead vindicates and validates everything that he said about himself. Everything that he claimed, not only about himself, but also about what is to come one day in this day of the Lord. All of that matters now infinitely if Jesus rose from the dead. And in our passage here today, Jesus is pointing us to the final chapter of the coming of the Lord. It's a day when the resurrected Jesus will one day again return. And if he rose from the dead, then I would encourage us all to take very seriously what Jesus has to say about this coming day. So, to consider and understand what Jesus is talking about, what he's describing about this coming day that is to come sometime into the future, let's look at briefly two things today. First, let's look at the destruction of that day, and then second, let's take a look at the restoration of that day. Okay? So first, the destruction of that day. Uh, we need to begin by trying to understand a bit of the context of this passage. Uh, this passage is part of uh, what's known as the Olivet Discord. This is uh, D Jesus discussing with his disciples some of his final teachings before his coming death. And he tells them of what is to happen one day uh, in what we call the end times. He's speaking of eschatology or future things, things to come. The second thing to note is that he is speaking in a genre that we don't really understand fully today. Uh, one of the most complicated genres of the Bible to interpret is something known as apocalyptic literature. It's a very ancient form of writing. Apocalyptic literature uh, was not to be read literally, but rather it uses poetic language and imagery as a way of drumming up particular emotions within us, to motivate us toward a particular response. It's poetry that's mixed with metaphor, that's mixed with actual events. And this is why there are so many opinions out there about what the Bible teaches that'll come one day at the end times. It's very difficult to interpret fully. Ultimately, in the end, we will never really know what is literal and what is figurative. However, the point of apocalyptic literature was to communicate one kind of very important central idea. So Jesus, in the midst of what we just heard read, is communicating a very important main idea. What is that main idea? Well, on this side of the resurrection, meaning we know that he has risen from the grave and that he has ascended to the right hand of God the Father, what Jesus wants his disciples to know is that he, he wants them to see that though he will rise again, though he will ascend, that he will also one day return. But here's the important main idea that I think we can get from this passage, is that when he returns, there is going to be a very important distinction between the first time he came and the second time, this next time he will return. That distinction being this, if you remember, of course, the first time that Jesus comes, right? We celebrate this every Christmas. He comes as an infant. He comes in vulnerability. He comes in great humility. 
He spends much of his life in obscurity and in poverty. He lives a life of kindness and compassion, great humility. I mean, even when he uh, was celebrated, we celebrated this last week with Palm Sunday, even when he entered as this great king into the city of Jerusalem, he rode on a donkey. He was a humble king. That was the first time, though. When he returns, the second time he comes, it is a very different story. Our passage tells us that when he returns, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. In other words, a terrifying darkness will descend when Jesus returns. Verse 30 says that all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming. In other words, they will dread that he has returned. Why? Because he does not come this time, this second time, with vulnerability and humility. This time, when he returns, he will return with power and great glory. He does not come riding a donkey, but instead, Revelation 19 tells us that he returns on a battle-ready white horse. That Jesus' eyes will be blazing like fire. The apostle Peter says that the elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Whatever it is that Jesus and the other writers are attempting to communicate about that day, the one thing that we can be sure of is that it's going to be a terrifying scene. This day of the Lord will be one of judgment for those who do not ultimately trust in the coming of that Lord for their salvation. Now, I do know and I recognize that for many, the notion of judgment and God's wrath can be kind of archaic, outdated, and even uh, manipulative ideas. And frankly, I understand that. To talk about God's justice, God's wrath against sinners, it can actually be used as a manipulative tool to try and produce converts to trusting in Jesus. I recognize that. But even though there may be times where it's been manipulative, even though there may be some of us here who bristle at this idea of God's wrath, bristle at the idea of judgment, we cannot miss what Jesus is saying here. And what this entire season, this entire Holy Week season reminds us of. Right? We cannot miss the reason for Jesus' coming. We cannot uh, miss the reason why he died on the cross, the reason why he conquers the grave. All of that is done to secure salvation for those who trust in him for that salvation because there's a terrifying day coming. There is a judgment coming. And too often, I fear that we sentimentalize the season of Easter too often we think about Jesus solely as this humble, gentle teacher, but we miss the very reason why he came. For he is not just a humble and gentle teacher. He's also a holy and righteous God who will not allow sin to continue to pervert and destroy his good creation. And because he does not want anyone to perish, he provides a way that leads away from destruction, away from uh, this coming impending doom and instead moves us toward redemption. Our celebration of Easter is meaningless. None of this matters if we don't take seriously what Jesus says about himself when he returns. And we cannot miss Christ's teaching that for those who persist 
in rejecting God, this day of the Lord, this return of Jesus, will be one of destruction and great sorrow. But I also find Jesus' words here interesting about the ways in which we too often distract ourselves from thinking about such things. Look at uh, in verse 38. He says that when the day of the Lord comes, people will be eating and drinking, be marrying and giving in marriage. Uh, they'll be working in the fields. And here's what I find striking about that. We do not think about these things that I'm describing like we should. Instead, too often, we just go about life, filling our days, distracting ourselves with the pleasures of life, eating and drinking or, or working our jobs, starting our families, living life until one day we die and the whole cycle starts over with a new generation. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. Those are all good gifts of God. But what days like Easter should snap us out of is this lull we so easily find ourselves falling into. If Jesus rose from the dead, then everything that he has said about this coming day is true. And as a result, we ought to have, it ought to have a massive impact on our lives, in the ways that we live our lives. Something else that I find striking about uh, the Second Peter 3 passage. In verse 10, the apostle says this, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear uh, with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. Why? Because our lives ought to be lived in light of the fact that Jesus, the Lord of this coming day, will one day return. And he expects that we would live in response to and reflect his character, his law, his purity, his intention for what is good, right, and true. If we live in that way, wouldn't it be true? If we lived in response to who Jesus is, would it not be true that we would be far more loving, compassionate, full of justice, pure, and faithful? Would it not be true of us that we would be people that properly reflect him? And if you're honest, if I'm honest, I'm not that. I don't live in those kinds of ways, which I think means I probably don't take Jesus's words nearly seriously enough. And functionally, I make Jesus out to be a liar, saying, I don't actually believe that you are who you say you are. I don't actually believe that uh, you're as serious about this coming day. And so leave me alone while I just fill my days. But here's why I harp on that point, is that today we claim to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. We sing these songs of victory and triumph. However, all these celebrations are silly rituals lacking any meaning if we are not clear about what we are celebrating. For those in Christ, we celebrate his victory over sin and death and freedom from the destruction that is coming one day. But the other thing I want us to know is not only are we delivered from, spared from that day of destruction, but we are also saved to something. We're not just saved from destruction, but we are also saved to a day of restoration. Let's look at that quickly. Look at verse 11 again. It says that since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Let me stop there for a second. 
So the Apostle Peter is reflecting on Jesus' teaching about one day the Lord will come. Jesus is describing this extraordinarily frightening day, but even though it's frightening, Peter says, look forward to that day. Desire for it to come quickly. Why? Why would one want that horrifying day to come quickly? Well, he continues, that that day will bring about destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, you are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. See, in Christ, we look forward to that day because, if you notice there, because of the fire that's coming. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. In the Bible, there is an idea of a refiner's fire. It's a fire that does not consume and destroy, but rather it's a fire that purifies. It's a kind of fire that takes gold and it burns away all the impurities and all that's left then is perfection behind. In Malachi 3, we, you know, we looked at uh, the prophet Malachi last week. And speaking of the coming, this coming day, the prophet Malachi puts it this way. But who can adore, endure the day of this coming? And who can stand when he appears? But hear this. The prophet says, for he is like a refiner's fire. See, the coming of Jesus and the fire that comes from heaven is not one of complete destruction for those that are in Jesus. Rather, it's one that purifies and renews. See, when Jesus returns, yes, it will be a day of judgment. Yes, in some sense, it will be a day of destruction, but it will not be a day where God completely destroys all of his creation. Instead, we will finally and completely see Jesus return and eradicate all the things that we pray for every week, eliminating sickness, eliminating death, eliminating violence. It'll be a day when all of creation will be restored by the refiner's fire. I mean, look at verse 13. It says, but in keeping with his promise, right? God has promised this. And to whom has he made his promise? To those who trust in Jesus, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. It is the new heaven and the new earth described in Revelation 21, which is one of our favorite passages around here. For those who are in Christ, right? This day of restoration, this is what it will look like. It says, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. This is Revelation 21. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And here's our great hope that he will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain for the former things have passed away for those in Christ. That's why we celebrate Easter. That's why we celebrate the resurrection. Because it's a promise that Jesus will fulfill what he said he would do, which is to completely eliminate all the impurities of, the, of this creation so that we might enjoy fully and completely this restored creation. For those in Christ, this is what the day of the Lord entails. This is the hope of the Christian. This is the message of Easter, that Christ has died, Christ has risen, but that Christ will come again. And trusting in Jesus is what allows us to look upon that coming day of the Lord and look at it with great hope and eager anticipation. So my hope, my prayer for all of us would be 
that we don't just allow this day to pass as another Easter, but rather we take the time to consider what Jesus actually accomplished and what he promises and what we can cling to as a result of his resurrection. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the coming of Jesus. We thank you that he lived a perfect life. We thank you for his death. But on this day, we thank you for the resurrection because it's the resurrection that confirms for us that all that Jesus has promised to us will be ours as we trust in him. For those of us here who maybe have not trusted in Jesus, would your spirit lead us to do so? For those of us here that have trusted in Jesus, but maybe we have forgotten the significance of what it is that he promises, remind us by your spirit the promises of our Savior. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Redeemer East Harlem podcast. For more information on our church and how you can support what God is doing through our church, go to www.reh.nyc. 